Greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every great path straight. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, we made a statement that our salvation should lead us to the service of God. Otherwise, that salvation is futile, meaningless, and will not lead us to eternal life. Any salvation that does not culminate in our service of God is futile. In fact, it is a fallacy. It's a farce. Now, since our salvation leads us to service, we must be made ready to serve God. We saw in the case of uh, Daniel and his friends that they had to be made ready to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. We saw that Esther had to Esther and, her, and the other maidens had to be prepared to meet with um, King Ahasuerus, who would then decide on who he was going to choose to be his queen, and so on and so forth. So if we are going to be able to serve God, then we must be made ready through the agency of sanctification and consecration, which we've discussed already. We said things like purging ourselves, uh, purging the old man out of us, um, putting on the new man, preparing us on how to serve God acceptably, perfuming us with the fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ so that every aroma of the world, every aroma of sin, every aroma of the flesh is completely removed and the only fragrance that the Almighty will be perceiving is that of the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, the one who perfectly served his, his, his God and who did everything that was well-pleasing to the Lord. And finally, we are presented unto the Lord Jesus Christ for service. Our service, we noted, is about Christ and not ourselves or our own ambitions. We are vessels and Christ occupies us to do his work within us and through us. And so we noted that if that be the case, then three things we must eliminate from our lives. Number one, pride. Because if pride is in our lives, it chases the Lord Jesus Christ away. The Bible says that God regards the proud afar off. That is, it doesn't come near them. So if pride should enter into our lives, it chases them off. The second thing is sin. The Bible says that the hand of the Lord is not short, neither are his ears um, heavy that he cannot hear us, but that our sins have separated us from our God. So sin separates us from Christ. The moment sin enters our lives, Christ separates from us and we are just left there. And finally, we said worldliness must also not be a part of our lives because worldliness is an abomination unto God and God cannot stay where abominable things are taking place. Now, with this said, we move on to what we want to discuss today. Now, there is a difference between serving someone and serving someone acceptably. There's a difference. So in this broadcast, we want to speak about not just serving God, but serving God acceptably. Now, when you are born again, your one true desire ought to be to serve God. That should be your one true desire to serve God. Now, unless you are sanctified, that is purged of the old nature, the old man, the, the, the sin-loving nature, that you put on the new man, uh, which is Christ Jesus, and then you are prepared, you are made ready to serve, and you consecrate yourself unto God. That is, you dedicate and devote yourself with all loyalty and commitment unto God. You will not qualify for acceptable service before God. Now, there are many people who talk of serving God. And when they talk of serving God, they talk of, uh, I'm sweeping the church, I'm singing in the choir, or oh, even the pastor will say, well, I preach, um, I preach the message of God. Uh, the ushers are there ushering. The people who, who man the accounts, they, they count money, and so on and so forth. They do all kinds of things. Now, so when we talk of serving God, we, we are talking of something that goes beyond these activities talking of something that goes well, well beyond these activities. These are just activities that people engage in before, during, and after service or after church meetings. We're talking here beyond these things. We, we, are, we, are, we are speaking of giving God worship. When we talk of worship, we, we need to look at the old English word of worship, which is worship or worthyship. 
we're saying that God is worthy. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy to, to, he's worthy to be revered. Why? Because the Bible says he made us. He made the entire world. So we worship God because he is God. We don't worship God because of what he has done. We appreciate him for what he has done. We praise him for what he has done, for what he will yet do. But we worship him because he is God. We worship him because he created the heavens and the earth. We watch, when we talk of worship, we are speaking of a weight, the value, the heaviness of the one that we worship. And because we, 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 we so in worshiping God, in serving God or worshiping God, what we are saying is that God is almighty he's mightier than any other thing and so it is to him that we give all our worship it is important that we recognize these things because we cannot be speaking of serving god and we don't have the value of the one that we are serving to to worship god is to honor god to glorify god in the body and with the body to give God all glory, to give God all praise. That is why in the act of worship, when we, when we engage in the act of worship physically, we, we, we would bow down, we would kneel down, we would even lie prostrate like the, 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 the elders in Revelation chapter 4. The Bible says they all lay prostrate before God, pulling up, pull, taking off their crowns and casting the crowns before him. Why? Saying, this crown that is on our head, we are putting it on because you gave it to us. The very life that we have, we have it because you gave it to us. You are the one who we worship. We are the one who we adore. We don't adore any other but you. Which is why idolatry is viewed strongly by God. Because idolatry is now giving what ought to be given to God to something else. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a house, maybe it's whatever. It could even be a wife or a husband or children. We idolize them. We, we, we put all that we should have given to God, we give to them. We give them honor. And so in the case of Eli, God said concerning him, he said, you, you worship, you honor your children. That is, you worship your children more than me. You prefer your children to me. So he said to him that anyone who does not uh, uh, honor him, he would, he would esteem him lightly. That is, he would treat him with disdain. Anyone who does not esteem God above all else will be disdained by God. So when we talk of serving God, we are speaking of what we do, that thing that we do that brings honor to God, that brings glory to God. So acceptable service, acceptable worship is that service that God is well pleased with that honors him, that glorifies him. For example, in John chapter 21, verse 18 and 19, the Lord Jesus spoke to Peter. And um, let, me just, let me just read it. Uh, in verse 18, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. In verse 19 it says, This spoke he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. He is speaking of glorifying God. And Peter was going to glorify God by the manner of death that he would die. He would die in, in, a, in a manner that would bring glory to God. It is not that God is, is a sadist, but Peter would view every other thing as insignificant compared to God. And on the basis of his, glorif of, of his glorifying God over and above everything, giving God the preeminence, he was going to be killed. In that death itself, he would glorify God. So when we talk of serving God or the worship of God, we are speaking more of giving honor to God, of glorifying God, of pleasing God, of making God well pleased with what we are doing because it is honoring him even amongst men. In Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, 
which is your reasonable service. Somalia translation says, which is your reasonable act of worship. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying, present your bodies. Our service to God is to present our bodies, ourselves, as consecrated people for the use of God. He says, present as a, living, as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice is one that is alive and yet is totally yielded to God and God only. Like the sacrifice was dragged wherever they, they took the sacrifice to, it went. The Bible says concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, it said, as a sheep before its shearers, he did not open his mouth. The Bible says, whilst he, when, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He was just there, yielded to whatever it is that God was going to do with him. The Bible, he, he told, he, he told um, um, Pontius Pilate, he said, I, I, could, I could easily ask thousands of angels to come and put this outside. But he said, but this is not my kingdom. In my kingdom, we don't fight that kind of fight. That it is in your power to do with me as you will. So he was a living sacrifice, willing to give up the power that he had to fight for himself and yield to the will and counsel of God. He says we must be holy. This, this, this body must be holy. We cannot put on what does not glorify God. We must be compliant to God. That's what holiness is. Being obedient to God, compliant to the word of God. And thirdly, he says that uh, we, we, are to, we are to be well-pleasing, well-pleasing to God. Well-pleasing to God in this body. That is acceptable unto God. People that when God looks at it, yes, I can work with this one. Because I see humility. I see meekness. I see Christ in him. We are to be acceptable to God, not to man. Many of us work very hard to be pleasing to men. But no, we should be pleasing to God. We should be acceptable to God. We should be a delight to God. We should make God pleased with us. That's what Romans 12 verse 1 is saying. So he says, make yourself available to God. Someone that God can delight in to come and occupy, to indwell and do his work through him. We had noted earlier that the work of God can only be done by God. And that what God does is to indwell us and do his work within us and then through us. So we are basically vessels unto God. The Bible speaks, I think, in, in 2 Corinthians of having treasures in earthen vessels. We are the earthen vessels. Christ is that treasure that is within earthen vessels. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, the Bible says, but in a great house, the house of God is a great house. The kingdom of God is such a great house. It says in a great house, that is in the kingdom of God, there are vessels, not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth or clay. You have vessels of gold, you have vessels of silver, you have vessels of wood, and you have vessels of clay or of earthenware. And then it says that, and some to honor and some to dishonor. You could have vessels of gold that because of certain things wrong with them, they become vessels unto honor. You could have vessels of clay. Because of the way they carry themselves, because of the things they would do for them, within their bodies, they would become vessels unto honor. So it is not like gold and silver are the only vessels unto honor. No, gold or silver could actually make themselves dishonorable. Whereas the, 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 the vessels of wood and of clay might make themselves Honorable. So what is it that they need to do so that they can be vessels of honor? Verse 21 tells us that. He says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, that is from iniquity, from sin, from pride, from worldliness, if a man therefore purge himself from this, he shall be a vessel unto honor, whether he's gold or silver or wood or clay, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. If that man would purge himself from the corrupting influence and the contaminating influence that is in this world, 
The corrupting influence that comes through sin and iniquity, through associating with others. The Bible says evil communication corrupts good manners. If a man can purge himself, can keep himself from that corrupting influence, from that communicating, that, that contaminating influence rather, which is present in this world, which is present amongst the people of this world, that fellow shall be a vessel unto honor, a vessel that is sanctified, that is set apart, reserved, preserved for the master's use, meet, fit, adequate, sufficient for the master's use. One who has been prepared and made ready so that the master can use him for every good work prepared unto every good work i believe we've mentioned this before that before god your works are either good or dead so you have dead works and you have good works good works the difference between the two is simply that in in the case of good works what good work all those works are initiated inspired and implemented by god for dead works they are not initiated by god they are not inspired by God. They are not implemented by God. Whatever God does not initiate, he does not inspire. And whatever he does not inspire, he does not implement. So they become dead works. For example, a man can have a dream to build a church, to put up a church building. And that may seem to be okay. But if it is not initiated by God... It doesn't mean anything. If God does not inspire it, it doesn't mean he just had a dream. It's just an ambition. If he goes ahead to build it, it counts for nothing. David wanted to build God a temple. And when he spoke to Nathan, his, the, the prophet, the, the palatial prophet, if, if we can call use that expression, Nathan said, the Lord is with you. Do as you please. Do what is in your, in your heart. But that night, God went and told Nathan, go and tell David that he's not going to do it because he has blood on his hands. He's been a, a man of war. I'm going to bring a son, his son, who will be a person of peace. And his son is going to be able to, um, his son will be, will be the one who will build me the temple. So we see, that in talking in terms of the, uh, the, the, the temple that David wanted to build, when he came to the turn of Solomon, it was God's initiative. God inspired it and God implemented it. But when David wanted to do it, God said no. He didn't initiate it, he didn't inspire it, and he did not implement it. So good works that we are, we are to be prepared to do are the works that will be initiated by God, inspired by God, and implemented by God within us and through us. So that our role or our service to God is to make ourselves ready on a daily basis for God to do his work through us. This is what it is basically. Our service to God, what we can do that is pleasing to God that we say, now, I am serving God, is that you are a vessel that God can use to do his work. Because the work of God is done by God himself. And so all he requires is that vessel through whom he will now do that work. That vessel has to be clean. That vessel has to be meek. That vessel has to be yielded to him. That vessel cannot be struggling with God. So the bottom line is, if we are going to be able to serve God as he desires in an acceptable manner, then we ourselves must yield. We must be willing to yield to God. We must be willing to be open to God to allow him to do what it is that he wants to do. That is our reasonable act of worship. That is our service unto God. In John chapter 6, uh, some people had, I think the Lord Jesus had, had fed 5,000 men, not counting uh, women and children, and they, they had left. Now that night, the disciples had some issues on the high sea, and he walked on water to uh, save them. And one, of course, once they got into the water, they, went, they got to the other side, and he continued his ministry on the other side. Now these are the people who were there the, the, the day before, who had eaten, uh, who, who had been part of the 5,000 who had been fed, 
now were looking for Jesus. And they couldn't find him there. So when they heard that he had, he had uh, you know, gone to the other side, they didn't know why, how he got there or when, whatever. But they all went there. They actually traveled quite a distance, got into boats, made an effort to get to where he was. But when they came to the Lord Jesus Christ and they were asking, ah, how did you get here? Let's take it from where the Lord Jesus Christ answered them in verse 26 through to 28. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Many of us are seeking God, not even because of the miracle of salvation or the miracles that we have seen, but because of what we want to get from him. Our loyalty is not to him. Our loyalty is to get something from him. And so we cannot really be said to be serving God. In verse 27, he said, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. If you are going to labor, he says, Labor for what the Son of Man will give to you, that, that which, which, does, which endures to eternity. And then they asked the question in verse 28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might walk the works of God? They wanted to do the work of God. Say, okay, so what is this? What can we do to do the work of God? Look at verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Believe in me. That's what the Lord just said. Believe in Christ. Just believe me. That is all the work you need to do. The rest, he will do it. So, our salvation is part of the work of God. And preparing ourselves for Christ to indwell and do his work, that is our reasonable act of service, act of worship, our service unto God. Now, when this vessel is now ready, has been made ready through the agency of sanctification, consecration, and so on and so forth, then we, we, we have the Holy Spirit coming upon us to fill us. Now, in Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, after the Lord Jesus Christ had risen from the, from, 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 uh, from the dead, uh, verse, and was speaking to his disciples, in verse 46, he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. This was the plan. He will suffer, he will die, and on the third day he will rise again. And, and on, because he, he died for sin and has arisen again for our justification, Therefore, repentance and remission, sin being taken away, is to be preached in his name, by his authority, among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. This is the work that, will, that is to be done. But then in verse 49, in verse 48 it says, And ye are witnesses of these things. You saw them. You were witnesses. And then in verse 49 it says, And behold, I send this promise, the, the promise of my father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So even though you are, you are witnesses of this, um, of, my, my, of his earthly ministry, even the witness of his earthly ministry, the witnesses of his death and witnesses of his resurrection. And so we're given the the, the authority to go forth and preach and teach that repentance has come to men and that sin has been forgiven because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Yet he said to them, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until power comes from above upon you. Why is he saying that? You cannot do the work of God even as a prepared vessel until the power of God comes upon you. Now, when Mary was told concerning uh, her giving birth to the Lord Jesus Christ, 
The angel said to Agos, he said, how will these things be? I, I don't know a man. What will happen? He said, the spirit of God will overshadow you. That is, will baptize, will cover you up completely. And something will happen to you. We, don't, we cannot fully explain it. But he said, a child will come. That child, that holy thing is the son of God. And so for us, and like he told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until that power, that Holy Spirit comes upon you. Because this witness you want to give, if the Spirit of God is not there, you will not be able to do it effectively. And so, he said also in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he repeats it in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses on, unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, this is so crucial that they had to wait. Because if, if, you, if you understand what was going on here, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ at this point in time were being sought after to be killed. And Jerusalem was the most uncomfortable place for them to be in. But God had a plan in Jerusalem because between the time of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was their Passover, and the time that he was speaking to them now, the, it was almost... Um, the time for harvest, the, 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 the harvest of the first fruits, the, the, the feast rather, of the first fruits. It was almost that time. And so they needed to wait. And so by the time he had finished with them, which was the 40th day or the 43rd day after the Passover, he was saying to them, wait until power comes on. And by the time the Holy Spirit came upon them, which is what we call Pentecost, the 50th day, they only had to wait one week, just seven days. And then when he came upon them, it was amazing. The whole, the whole of the Jewish world had gathered in Jerusalem. So it, God had a plan. He initiated the whole thing. He inspired the whole thing. And he implemented it himself. Because when Peter rose up that day, Peter did not speak by himself. It was an unprepared sermon. He wasn't prepared for it. It was the Holy Spirit in, upon Peter that began to speak and began to preach. And as a result of the preaching, 3,000 souls came to the Lord. And these 3,000 souls were harnessed into the body, being baptized and being taught daily the doctrines of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus was the church of God born on the earth. So if we are going to serve God, we must make ourselves ready for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. And then we are able to be used by God to do his work. Because now we have been emptied of virtually everything. Now this brings us to another very crucial thing that must happen to us if we are to serve God acceptably. And that is that our desire must be exchanged for God's desire. As long as your desire is still there, you are going to have a challenge doing the work of God. Because what you desire in the flesh is not exactly what God desires. And so that exchange needs to take place. So it is one thing to be prepared as a vessel that God can come and indwell. But a, a crucial part of that preparation which is not explicitly mentioned is the issue of your desire. So for as long as that desire is there, even if God were to come and indwell, there's going to be a struggle between you and God because your desire is going to be contrary to the desire of God. So there has to be that exchange. I think it's Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 that says, This I say unto you, uh, um, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. For the spirit lusteth against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit and you are not free from that struggle. So until... The desire that is in us is uprooted and the desire of God put in there, we are going to be struggling. So that is why you find people, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they will speak in tongues, speak in tongues, speak in tongues, and yet they will go ahead and do what they should not be doing. You, you, you will see a woman who will speak in tongues and the whole place will be shaking. But that woman with the same tongue, she's abusing her husband. With the same tongue, she's quarreling and gossiping. That same tongue. You see a man who will speak in tongues, speak in tongues, speak in tongues. Yet, he will go and collect bribe. He will be in fornication or adultery. 
He'll be engaging in all kinds of crazy things. And you'll be wondering, but this man speaks in tongues. But this man is preaching. That is a vessel unto dishonor. He said to God, I am ready. And he cried and cried and cried and cried that the Holy Spirit should come. And then the Holy Spirit came. But what did he meet there? He met a very strange thing. And then we now have a problem with that man. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 30. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through to 30. Matthew 11, 20 through to 30. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Come unto me. Don't come unto a church. Don't, come, don't go unto a general verse here. Come unto me. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy bladed, and I will give you rest. Laboring in your own strength. Laboring for your own desires. Your own ambitions. Claiming it to be a vision of God. Say, come unto me. Come to me. Stop receiving visions from men. Come to me. I will give you rest. The Bible says, he that has entered into the rest of God has ceased from his own work. As God ceased from doing all his own work on the Sabbath. So there is a rest. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, it is in me. So come to me. I will give you rest from the struggles. This, this long preparations, burnouts, call meeting here, call meeting there, no time to rest, nothing. Come to me. I will give you rest. He said in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. Look at the, he says, learn of me. I am meek. I am lowly in heart. There's no pride. There's no arrogance in me. I'm humble. Come and learn of me. It's not just to come to me, but come and learn of me. Give, look, take my yoke, take my own burden, take my vision, take my desire, take my goal. Give me yours, throw yours away. Give it to me. And come and take my, my, he says, learn from me. I'm meek and I'm lowly heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. This is where the rest is. In Christ. Not in any other thing. It's not in a, a fat bank account. It's not in um, the number of people that is in your church. No. It's not in how many ministrations you had in one day. Or how many services you are running in one day. No. It is in him. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. He says come. And be coupled to me. That is a, a yoke couples you to God. Come and be coupled to me. Come. Let us, let us be together. Kill that desire. Come and take my own, my own goal. Take my own vision. Some people wake up and say, oh, I, they, they had a vision from God. And you'll be wondering when they begin to narrate it. All you can see, all you can listen to, all you can hear is ambition. Not a vision. A vision, like I said, that is from God. Is initiated by God. It is inspired by God. He is the one who will also implement it. What is your role? Make yourself ready for him to come and indwell you. You don't have any other assignment to do. Just make yourself ready. The other people, when they said, what shall we do? They said, believe. Just believe on me. Don't do any other thing. Just believe on me. But they couldn't handle it. Why? Because in every man is that self. Self-aggrandizement. Self-image. Self-acclamation. Uh, uh, self uh, or everything about self self-will, and so on and so forth. That's what we, we want to project ourselves. We want people to know us. We want to be famous. And then we want to have an image that people will, will, will like. So we begin to please men rather than please God. And so there are many vessels that were made unto honor that became vessels unto dishonor. Why? They did not purge themselves. They were too much in a hurry to jump into ministry. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 to 27, this is what the Lord said concerning Israel, and he's speaking to us also. He said, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. We know that the, 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 the word of God is like the water of cleansing. We also know that the Spirit of God comes also to cleanse, to purge. In verse 26, it says, A new heart also will I give you. That is a changed heart. A, a heart that is completely changed. When, when the Bible talks about giving you a new heart, he said he's going to remove the old one and put a new one there. So that's the exchange. He removes that heart of self-desire and puts in a heart of God's desire. Also will I, uh, a new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. 
I'm going to put a new spirit in you, a new desire. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you an heart of flesh. That's a supple, malleable, pliable heart. And when we talk of heart, we're not talking of that uh, organ that pumps blood. No, it's talking about your being. I will change your being. Your personality will change. People will look at you and say, this guy has changed. He's the same body. He's the same human being. The same face, the same everything. Something about him has changed. That's because God has done a work of removing a nature that is horrible. Removing a desire. Removing a strong will. And puts in it the will of God. Puts in it the desire of God. Puts in it the nature of God. In verse 7, it says, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. You, you will discover that to, to obey God will be very easy, extremely easy. So as long as your will is intact in you, you cannot serve God acceptably. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, verse 42, and verse 44, the Lord Jesus Christ prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane when he had to face the issue of him being um, crucified on the cross. He said, if it were possible, please take this cup away from me, but not my will, your will be done. He, he had the desire to please the master, to please his, his God, to please his father. In John chapter 4, verse 34, he said to his disciples, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish it. Not just to do it, but to complete it, to accomplish it. So the truth of the matter is, if we are going to be able to do the word of God and remove our will and have his will in place, it is going to come by that prayer. Your will be done, not my will. The Bible says, I think it's in Philippians, it says, it is God who wills and who does of his good pleasure in us. Because that's the only way he's going to be able to do or implement his work through us. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, the Lord Jesus Christ teaching us about the, about, the, about the prayer, what we call the Lord's prayer. He said, pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come means my kingdom out of the way, my desire out of the way, my ambition out of the way. Thy will be done on the earth as it is done in heaven, the will of God is always done in heaven. But now to do it on the earth, my will must give way and his will must come. So unless I am willing to allow the will of God take its place in my life, it is going to be a problem to serve God acceptably. I may think I'm serving him, but he, he knows that I'm not serving him acceptably. And the point is that as God begins to point those areas of, uh, to us, we'll be wondering, but I'm serving God. What else does he want me to do? I'm, I'm, I've been doing this. I've labored. He said, come to me. Many of us need to take a break and go to God. And you will be shocked when he tells you that all you've been doing, I didn't send you. You are doing it on your own. In Acts chapter 9, verse 3 to 6, we can learn from Saul of Tarsus. When the Lord met him on the road to Damascus and he fell down, and the Lord, and he said, "Who are you, Lord? That are, that are, he said, you, I am the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you've been persecuting." What did he say to him? He said, "What would you have me to do?" I mean, somebody like Saul, who thought he was serving God, what he was doing, he thought he was serving God, he thought he was doing God's service until God met him on that road. I pray that the Lord will meet us, smote him down, and said, "What are you doing? You think you're serving me? You've been persecuting me. You've been doing all the wrong things." And then he said to the Lord, "What would you have me to do?" He said, "Go." And wait in a particular place and he waited there. Eventually God sent, um, uh, what's his name now, sent somebody to him and said, go and, go and open his eyes. He has been praying and I've shown him that you are coming to, open, to, to, to lay hands on him and for his eyes to be opened. In Acts chapter 8, from verse 5 to verse 23, the Bible tells us about how Philip went to Samaria to preach the gospel. He got to Samaria, he preached. There was a man there, Simon the sorcerer. He was well known. In fact, the, Samar the Samaritans called him the power of God because they saw demonstration in, 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 uh, in, in this Simon the sorcerer's life. And then here you now have uh, Philip coming into town and preaching the gospel. And they saw the power that was in the gospel and they all shifted away from Simon. So Simon himself came 
and joined the church. He went through believers class. He went through all the things that he needed to go through. Then the disciples, the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received Christ, but nobody had yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. So they came to Samaria to pray for them so that they can receive the Holy Spirit. And as they were praying for people with laying on of hands, people were receiving the Holy Spirit. Simon the sorcerer suddenly got up and said, Sir, please, I tell you it's like this. Can you give me this power? He gave them more. He said, give me this power so that when I lay hands on anybody, he will also receive this thing that these people are receiving. And Peter told him off. He said, your money perish with you. You think you can buy the gift of God with money? You don't know that there's a bitterness of God with deep within you. You better go and pray to God and ask him to, to, to forgive you of your grievous sin before the Lord. What had happened to this Simon the sorcerer? His will was still intact. The old nature was still there. So he, he thank God they didn't lay hands on him. It would, have been, it would have been a mess. He revealed himself. His ambition came up. He just saw somebody who had defeated his power. And so he was looking for how to gain that power back in a different way and now be, be able to oppress the people. And that was the problem. God, and, the, and, the, and the Lord spoke through Peter to him. You better go and repent. There are many of us who say we are doing ministry, who all we are doing is the ambitions we had in the world. We have just brought them into the, into the church. We, it has nothing to do with Christ, has nothing to do with God. We just want to see ourselves as prominent. We want to see fame. We want to see, even those people who say that they are, they, are, they are Christian musicians, gospel musicians. I really don't understand all these gospel artists. Who are you an artist to? If you say you are singing unto God, what has that got to do with artistry? Did David go and show himself as an artist? That the whole world should come and see. He wrote his psalms quietly. God put them in a book. The Bible which we now have. When we sing. On, if we say we are singing unto God. Let it be unto God. I see so many displays on TV. And I'm wondering. Is this unto God or unto men? And men are there clapping. Some people say. Oh I didn't feel anything during worship. It wasn't you they came to worship. It's God. What are you feeling? You're supposed to be worshiping God. But because the will is still intact. We're unable to extricate ourselves. The self. From the will of God. So when your will is intact. And the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's danger. You will just be like Samson. Do you know that each time the Spirit of God came upon Samson. Everything Samson did was for himself. A lion roared. The, the, he, he tore the lion. Threw the carcass away. Okay fine. One time. the uh, What do you call it? The, he went and saw a woman he wanted to. Everything Samson wanted was what he wanted. The parents told him. Don't you have somebody? He said no I want this one. Okay, God said okay fine. Since that's what he wants, we will use that as occasion for him to go into the, uh, into the territory of the Philistines and do our will. But no, he didn't. He just did his own will. He went to kill people so he can get garments for himself. One day he went into a town, met a prostitute, slept there. When they blocked the gate against him, he carried the, the gate up, walked to the mountain with the power of God and dumped there and said, come and take it. Then he fell into the laps of Delilah until they shaved off his head. And the power was lost. And what did they do? They plucked out his eyes. Put him in chains. And put him in prison. Samson began to grind. Began to walk in the prison of the enemy. When he should have gained victory. Why? He could not subject himself to God. His will was too strong. And you see, God. many people think that God will force them. God does never force himself. It is something that you must do. You are the one to submit that will to God. And say, this will, no way. By the time... The Bible says that after that, the hells on Samson began to grow again. His Nazarite, his Nazarite um, uh, vows were scraped off with the first set of hairs. So a new vow had come on. But this time around, he was blind. He couldn't see any woman to entice him. He was in chains. He wasn't free to go anywhere. Like Peter said, you will, be, you will go where you don't want to go. And now they brought him out to be spot. And it was at that time. That the power of the Holy Ghost came upon him. The Bible says that when he pulled the two poles, pillars together, the entire arena fell. That he killed more Philistines in one day than he did in the 20, in 20 years of his reign as a judge in Israel. Samson was just for himself. He was not for anybody. Even though he was put in charge of a massive congregation. The tribe of um, Zidane or so. But he failed them. The Philistines still lived amongst them. Because of his own urges. The choice is as simple as this. Is that you voluntarily exchange your will for God's will. Or you are broken. And by that time, you will still do the work of God. 
but it will be in a broken state. In a state that is so broken that no more vision to see anything. All you can now see is the vision of God. No more desire for anything because you are now chained. You, have, you can't go anywhere. You are locked up in one place. And God keeps hammering. Don't be like the mule that they have to put bits in his mouth and be dragging wherever. Be, voluntarily submit yourself to me. Be yielded unto me. Freely give yourself to me so that you can serve me acceptably. Beloved, I'm concluding now. To serve God acceptably, you need to be genuinely born again. You need to be genuinely saved. You need to be sanctified. You need to be consecrated. And you need to give up your will for God's will. When we talk of salvation, we are speaking of repentance. Repentance from sin. You must, you must recognize that you are a sinner and that you don't want that life of sin anymore. And Jesus Christ is the Savior who saves you from sin. So you go to him, pray to him, ask him to come and save you from your sin. And then he will save you. Afterwards, there is still the issue of restitution. For example, you stole somebody's property. You have now been saved. The property is in your house. Take it and give it back. I'm sorry, brother. I stole it. I'm now a Christian. Give it back. You fought certificate. You are working with the certificate. Now you are born again. You are still working with that certificate. Go and tell them that certificate is a forgery. I can't walk again, sir. Leave, leave the place. God will still use you to do what he wants to do. It's not by certificate. It's by his power. But he needs vessels that are sanctified. Vessels that are compliant with his word. So we must repent. We must restitute our ways. There must be a change in our heart. A change in, the, in, in our ways. We must turn away from sin and turn towards God in faith. That's salvation. And then you have the Holy Spirit helping you through sanctification. Teaching you by the word of God. Teaching you through the, the teachings in the, in the body of Christ. Teaching you what you must learn of the word of God. That it is he, the Holy Spirit. He's a paraclete. He's with you always. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will take you to where you need to be. He will prepare you. Leave these motivational speakers alone. Who talk only of money. Who talk of greatness. Who talk of fame. That is not the gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the service of God. The work of God that needs to be done. God knows the work that he needs to do. There is a portion for you in that work. It's a massive work, but there is a little portion for you to do. And that portion that you need to do, you are going to be trained for it. it God is training skilled workers, skilled men, who are skillful in the little portion that is supposed to be. Because the, that little portion is important to the whole. Imagine a car assembly plant, and they train you in fitting certain bolts. It might be a tiny bolt, but you are trained specially to do that. If you don't fix that bolt properly, the entire car is useless, even though it's a tiny bolt. That is how the work of God is. It's not everybody that will be on the pulpit. No. And even when you come to the pulpit, it's not for show. It's for employment. It's for service. It's to teach the people of God the truth that is in the word of God. That's why when you become a believer, your entire life must change. Even your ambition must change. Your goals in life must change. You are sanctified by the word of God. You are consecrated, fully committed, fully loyal to God, dedicated, devoted to God. And finally, I use the word brokenness. You are broken before God. You have given up your will. You have given up your ambitions. You have given up your plans. And you say, Lord, not my will, your will be done. It is at that point that... God says, yes, this man is ready to serve. I leave you with um, an illustration, especially in Nigeria here. When you finish your university education and you want to go for national service, they tell you to come for clearance. And you'll be wondering, why, they come? why am I going for clearance? At, that, at the point of clearance, you'll be shocked. That's when they look at your school certificate, which you submitted when you first entered the university four or five years ago. They will look at that school certificate. Was, is it genuine or is it a fortune? Then they will look at the letter of admission. They will look at even your grades in jump. How did you enter this place? Did you actually make the cut-off point? If you didn't, that certificate you sought for four years is cancelled. Then after that, they will now look out your letter of admission. How did you get this letter of admission? Was it given by the university or somebody just gave you a letter? Can you imagine you've done four or five years in the university and they're checking all these things? Why didn't they check it before? I don't know. But that's what they do. 
in student affairs department. They check all those things. And then finally, they look at your grades year on year and see that your GPA indeed qualifies you to graduate. Then they now give a letter and say, you can go for national service. It is the same thing with God. You now say you want to serve God. They will now start. How did he get born again? They look at your salvation and say, ah, how? you remember the story of uh, the, the, the king who wanted his, who, who, who arranged a marriage for his son and invited people and the people said they are not coming. And then he told the servants, go to the main road and bring as many people, lame, whatever, bring them in. And they came in. And I believe they supplied them with wedding clothes. Then he came in before the wedding to, to inspect the guests. And then he saw there a man who had not his wedding clothes. He asked him, friend? He told him, friend? He's not an enemy. I'm not your enemy, but friend, how did you get in here? How did you enter here without clothes? With, without putting on your wedding clothes? The guy was, Bible says he was speechless. Why? He was given the clothes. He just refused to put it on. So you have been taught sanctification and you think it doesn't mean anything. You have been encouraged to consecrate yourself unto God. You think it doesn't mean anything. They are going to review all those things before you can say you are serving God. Many of the things that we are doing are just the small, small things. The main service will, will be when God, like in Peter's case, the main service was when Peter died. When Peter had to do what he needed to do and the, Roman, the, the Romans sentenced him to death and he died. He glorified God. He did so many other things, but that was the key. There were many things that Abraham did, but the key was when he offered Isaac willingly to God. God said, wow, now I know that you really fear me. And my prayer is that when we, when we get to that place, we will not disappoint God. So God is going to look at these things. Is he born again? Is he sanctified? Is he consecrated? Is his will still intact? Or has he submitted it to us? And then we'll say, okay, we can use him. So I say to you today, why don't you go to God in prayer? If you need to make your salvation uh, doubly sure, please go to God and tell him, I'm repenting of my sins. I've been deceiving myself. There are some people who have deceived themselves. And today, I want to return to you. I want to restitute my ways. I've backslidden. I've been taking things that I should not take. I want to return them. I want to restitute my ways. Help me to restitute my ways. Sanctify me by your word. Purge me of my iniquitous ways. Father, help me to seek you and you alone. Help me to be devoted and dedicated to you. And as for my will, Father, come and remove it. It's not helping me. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All my desires, Father, come and remove them. All the things I thought I would become when I was young, come and remove them. Give me a distaste so that I won't even want them. But give me a, an appetite to do your will. An appetite for your will. And you're going to discover that God will pass you through small, simple, simple things that will help you to recognize his will. Which is why Romans 12, 2 says, And be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know, that you may prove rather, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Unless there's that transformation taking, that has taken place in your life, you will hold on to your will and you will never be able to prove the will of God. Until we meet again, my prayer is that the Almighty God will bring you into that place where you are made ready a vessel unto honor to serve God and to seek after him. Until then, God bless you.